Good morning. Good morning. So good to see all of you. Thank you, Koji, for that great talk about the chance this morning. I thought that was very helpful. Hmm. It was great action. And you probably didn't even think that much about it. It probably just happened. You just did it. I felt, I felt embarrassed and apologetic for holding, oh. <laughs> holding the floor. <laughs> well, it didn't, didn't seem that way to me at all. No. So I was going to talk about act. I am going to talk about action today. I hope nobody's expecting me to talk about great deeds. Uh, if so, I'm uh, not the right person. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about just ordinary action. Actions that are in accord with what you feel inside, you know, the natural actions that just organically grow out of, of who you are, really. Um, I'm not going to talk about planning to do big, wonderful things because anytime you, I think, plan to do a big, wonderful thing or do a great deed, it's kind of paralyzing, you know? It's kind of hard to act. So, uh, for me, a slow growth plan of action seems to work a lot better. So, when I was getting this talk together, I thought, well, I gotta bring in some Buddhist figures to talk about, you know? And uh, so I thought about who, who represents action, and I thought about Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. I didn't really know anything about him. He appears, though, in one of our meal chants when we do Oriyoki. You know, Manjushri Bodhisattva, great wisdom. Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, great activity. Avalokitesvara, great compassion. So I thought I'd do a little research on Samantabhadra Budra. Samantabhadra Bhadra Bodhisattva, and I, you know, went out to the source of all knowledge to Wikipedia, and I was, and I saw, oh yeah, Samantha Bhadra, he did a lot of practice and meditation, and I thought, no, I wanted somebody that did action, I wanted someone that did something, <laughs> but I had to think about that a little bit, and uh, uh, realize that, uh, Maybe our root activity is practice and meditation. And um, not maybe, but uh, indubitably, it is our root action. And in truth, you know, there's really, there's really no time that we really aren't doing something. You can't be alive and, and do nothing. There's no way to do nothing. So there's always some action going on. So I... Uh, I put that quote out that uh, Mako published in the newsletter, and it said something about, uh, you know, wisdom isn't enough, that, that uh, wisdom is not useful without, without action. And um, I, I think that uh, wisdom, real wisdom, is always going to result in, in action of some kind of good action. I don't, I don't think you can actually even separate uh, a helpful action out of wisdom because 
of our natural uh, humanness to that when we really understand the uh, you know the uh, foundations of our lives, um, we uh, a natural a natural activity grows out of that. So it, it's not like there's a lot of pressure to do something. You know, I don't think uh, that's just a kind of a could be a kind of a guilt producing kind of a paralytic kind of a way of thinking. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I, I started practicing back around 1990. And uh, uh, I've always been kind of a shy person, one of those people that would rather just stay hidden in the woodwork and not be seen. And uh, I didn't really know how to connect with people very well. And uh, I got into practice and just kind of fell into it. And it seemed like something I had to do. And, uh, you know, very slowly, uh, very slowly, you know, things just kind of, kind of grew in me. And I, I found myself stepping out a bit more, you know. Uh, get help. My practice was a huge help, but the internet was a big help, you know? The internet is wonderful for shy people. It's much easier to ask somebody to do something or reach out to somebody in an email than it is to have to actually talk to them face to face. So the internet came along my practice. I, I felt, I felt a, a very satisfying uh, reaching out happening and uh, even getting into positions where I was actually sitting up in front of people, you know. Uh, so not something I ever thought I could do. Um, I taught in prison for a, long, a number of years. Um, and that's again, not, not something I ever, ever thought I would be doing. Um, um, so um, this naturalist in naturalness, the, the, this natural kind of action that can grow out of our practice, uh, I want to read a, a little quote. This quote was read yesterday morning. If you come here and sit in the morning, you get to hear quotes from Zen Mind Beginner's Mind that are just chosen at random out of this book. And so this happened to fit with what I was talking about. <coughs> For a plant or stone to be natural is no problem, but for us there is some problem, indeed a big problem. To be natural is something which we must work on. When, you just, when what you do just comes out of nothingness, you have quite a new feeling. When you're hungry, you take some food as naturalness. The true practice of zazen is to sit as if drinking water when you are thirsty. There you have naturalness. He talks about coming out of nothingness. Um, yeah. um, that, that's, that's, that's kind of a uh, tricky word, I think, because nothingness doesn't sound, nothingness sounds a little bit nihilistic, but, oops, sorry. 
Um, uh, but uh, I think of it as spaciousness, coming out of our own spaciousness. And that spaciousness is what we uh, cultivate when we sit in meditation in silence. Um, uh, that, that spaciousness, and the spaciousness is sometimes called emptiness also, which is another word that sounds a little nihilistic, but actually this spaciousness that we have that's really part of us is um, actually full of all possibility and all potentiality. So it's uh, really a very, very rich place to be. And out of that spaciousness will come something, whatever you know, fits with our particular talents and um, um, proclivities and our passions, you know, something will come of it if we sit there with it. So, um, yeah, there's a little more than just sitting with it. I mean, it's all, it's all very natural, so I, I, I don't want to make it sound like there's a task list or anything, but um, um, when I was uh, getting ready for this talk, or asked to do this talk, I happened to be reading uh, a book that Tim turned me on to, uh, which was put together by Katagiri Roshi's students and was just published recently, and it's called Oh darn, The Light That Shines Through, through Infinity. Pretty grandiose name, The Light That Shines Through Infinity. Um, and I was reading chapter 15, which, seemed, which was called uh, Directing Your Boat, and that seemed to fit so well with this that I kind of made that chapter kind of the uh, holding togetherness of my talk. I, I sort of used that chapter as my guiding uh, light. And he starts that chapter out by um, um, by talking by quoting uh, uh, some Dogen from the Shobogenzo. I didn't really quite like his what he, the way he said. I didn't totally understand it. So I I actually went to Dogen to try to understand this, which is pretty much opposite from usually what I have to do. It's so hard to understand. It's usually easier to go to somebody else to find out what Dogen was really saying. But this particular passage is fairly graspable, I think, even by me. It's life. Life is like being in a boat. Even when we control the sail and the rudders and the oars, still the boat has its own independent existence and is absolutely necessary for us to survive. On the other hand, the boat cannot function correctly without us. So man and boat are complete, harmonious, totally activated inter interdependence. When man and boat function together and form complete full, of, full activity, the entire sky, all the water, and every shore also belong in the same time and space. Everything comes together when we direct our boat. Um, so this came from a um, classical, uh, it was called Zenki, and Zenki has been translated as either uh, the total of activity of life and death, or total dynamic working, or total activity. So it seemed to, again, fit with my talk. So the, the boat carries you along, but you have to always be giving it direction. So how do you direct your boat? Do you know how to direct your boat? 
What are some ways that you direct your boat? Yeah. I use my intuition. You use your intuition, and what does your intuition tell you to go towards? Um, Not to put you on the spot, but. <laughs> uh, just doing things that are right. Doing things that are right and helpful? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, things yeah. that are um, congruent with my inner nature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that intuition, we have, we all have that. And it doesn't even matter whether we're a practitioner and come to a place like this or not. I mean, I tried to think, well, anybody else have a, something they'd like to add about, you know, how they direct their vote or, you know? Yes, Koji. I kind of use, it doesn't seem to work so well, but <laughs> I kind of use like archetypes. Like I kind of like, I kind of think of like, what, what's, the, what's the persona? Not percent. Persona sounds wrong, but like, uh, what's the kind of um, I don't know theme or something like that. I, I take on a little theme that that kind of pulls me forward. That becomes this kind of consistent motivator that I need to try. And rather than like instant instant, like what's the theme of like what's my life about right now? Uh -huh. You know. Uh -huh. Great. Mary? Um, when I'm paying more attention, I think it's more about a deeper sense of uh, values that aren't very concrete, but that I know when I'm aligned with them, as opposed to pursuing a goal. Yeah. More of an alignment with a, an energy and a sense of deeper meaning, and not to do harm, to show up. Not doing really harm. Yeah. To show up, too. <laughs> to show up, yeah. To show up. Yeah. yeah, to show up. I think I, I thought back to what I, back before I practiced, and what, what, I, what I could tell was missing from my life. And I, I didn't think of the word to show up, but I think that's a great one. I think connection was really big, feeling very lack of connected and wanting to feel connected. And, um, rich. When you talk about the boat, I also think about the water and the, the sky and the, the conditions. I think being mindful of the conditions and being aware of the conditions. You may, I may have an intention, but there's also the conditions in which I'm working. Right. And so it's like I have to be aware of that too. Right, yeah. If, if there's big waves, you have to direct the boat differently than if it's just a calm. Right, the wind sea. is blowing a certain direction. Maybe I go with it instead yeah. of fighting it or I take the step out or whatever. Yeah. Thanks. So um, the interesting thing is that I, I think that our, us as human beings and with our intuition, we know, we have an innate knowledge of, of, of what's right or what's helpful or what's what we, what we want. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, don't tune into that. And uh, then kind of live um, not so happily, but um, just tuning in is important. Um, and of course, sitting on a cushion. I don't think I was very tuned in before, but I could still tell. I still knew what was lacking in my life. Um, uh, let's see, there was a, yeah. Oh, I like this. This was a quote from Katagiri uh, that I like a lot. 
We must constantly live by taking the initiative to make the vastness of existence come alive in our own lives. I mean, we look at this, you know, we are part of this incredible life thing, you know, I mean, our, like just nature and our own bodies, you know, how incredibly uh, well designed they are and they heal themselves and they, you know, we've got this meat in our head that can generate ideas <laughs> and out of that grows big cultural edifices and institutions and I mean, we live in this wonderful life, but many times we we uh, can't really take it in, you know? I mean, I think we all are in places sometimes where we can't take it in. And um, so we must constantly take the initiative to make the vastness of existence come alive in our own lives. So we have to point our boat, and we have to point our boat even if we don't know where it's leading. We don't really know where we're going, but moment by moment, we have to point the boat. Um, and we don't have, uh, we, well, sometimes we do have expectations, but usually having expectations causes problems, right? Because, uh, it leads to fear and paralysis, and um, so uh, having, managing to do all this without having expectations is uh, going to lead to a little bit more happiness. Sometimes having too well-defined an outcome can be counterproductive. So we're more interested in just a gentle unfolding one of the things that Category said in this chapter that I liked a lot, you know, because we're always talking, you know, uh, Dogen was always talking about practice realization, the idea that we already have enlightenment and yet we have to practice and we have to spend hours meditating. And people say, well, why, why, why do we have to do that if we're already enlightened? We're already beautiful beings, you know, why do we have to... Why do we have to sit in the cushion? And I, I thought uh, Category had a, a really nice uh, metaphor. He said, um, "It's like you're sitting next to a mountain. You know, it's like you're, uh, the mountain is there, and the um, enlightenment is there, but uh, there's something in you that makes you climb the mountain." and you, to climb the mountain, that's the way you get to really know it. So you get to really experience it, and you're not separate from it. Okay, so where, where does action start? Where, in your life, actions that you do, where does it start? I thought that was so, such an interesting question. Um, and uh, Suzuki Roshi says interesting things about that. There's a quote in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind somewhere, and maybe somebody remembers it, about 
a painting and how the painting, when the artist takes up their brush, the painting is already finished. You, you remember, anybody remember that one? I couldn't find it, so, uh, but uh, it, it's always kind of uh, mystified me just a little bit. I did find a quote in here about clapping. He said that um, you can't really clap or hear your hands clapping if clapping isn't already there, you know? <laughs> Like the sound, of, that's another one that's a little, a little mysterious, so. Uh, um, but, but anyway, where, where does action start? Does it doesn't start when the painter takes up his brush. There's already been a lot happening. I mean, if I know some of you are writers, uh, where does your story start? Did it start when you first picked up a pen? I thought about this Dharma talk, and uh, I always have a hard time finding a topic, and I listed about eight or nine things I might talk about, and none of them was resonating, and then I, then this idea of action came to me, and, and it just, you know, it just resonated, and, uh, uh, and I realized that there were, I had some ideas that have been in my head for a long, long time about, about action, and, and just doing things, and having, um, uh, just uh, thoughtless action arise, and um, um, and so that one worked for me. So that this talk started probably a long time ago, longer than I could ever ever pinpoint. I remember when I started teaching in prison. I remember I don't know where this came from, but when I um, first thought into practice way back in 1990, somewhere I got the idea that this meditation stuff should be taught to people in prison. And I don't know where that idea ever came from. Maybe it came from something long ago in my childhood. Um, but it was sitting there for a long time. And then here at this center, some young guy, young, uh, very zealous Zen student, actually took the initiative to call up prisons and find out if a bunch of us could go teach there and you know I was just right on board with that I didn't uh, you know I didn't have to think about it because this had been sitting in my head for so long and um, so that action started a long time ago maybe it started maybe it started before my parents were born you know that expression it's another little Zen mysterious expression about you know, knowing knowing who you were before your parents were born. Um, so, well, okay. Um, one of the things that Category talked about in this chapter was the word repentance. Repentance kind of seems to take on a really different meaning in this practice. And I've heard this before, but he made it really clear for me. What's repentance mean? Anybody? To you. I mean, just in our regular use of the word, what does that mean? Yeah. To me, it's like a Catholic thing of you, you know, go through a process of you know, being sorry for the things you've done. Yeah. Going to confession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, being sorry for the things you've done, I think that's pretty typical. Answer, but actually, in Buddhism, 
But repentance goes farther than that because it's not just being sorry, it's recognizing that you've done something that hasn't been helpful, maybe you've harmed, and it has to do with this boat adjusting thing. So then you adjust your boat and all of that is a part of repentance. So it's kind of like repentance is really the precursor to action or maybe it's even the action itself. And actually, the way he ends up talking about this, to me, it sounds almost like repentance and action are um, no different. Because he talks about the three levels of repentance, or if I may just turn that into action, it seems to fit. And this was kind of the kind of stuff I've been thinking about for a while that attracted me to this talk. He talks about three levels of repentance, or three levels of action, if you will. The first one is repentance, he calls it repentance in thusness. Uh, a little bit uh, uh, shadowy meaning there. But uh, this is the kind of, of effort or action that we do a lot. It's the kind of action that we think a lot about. I mean, it's like you decide that you want to do some hospice work and you go and you get training and you know you, you plan all this out and it comes out of your kind of out of your thinking mind or um, you just want to throw a party so people can connect or you know have a and make some people have a, have a have a good time or you want to set up a foundation if you have a lot of money um, and so you're he calls this this kind of repentance is using our karmic life to move in the direction of the bodhisattva. So we do some good and we plan it out and we think about it and we notice that when we're you know, coming up with doing this thing, there's all these different motives that come together. And a lot of the motives are, well, I'd like to get some credit. I'll get better known if I set up this foundation. I'll, uh, Maybe uh, you know, people think well of me, um, uh, and I'll get some. I'll get some good out of it. You know, so there's a certain amount of, of ego involved in all of these kinds of activities. But there's usually something else too. And um, I think depending on how much of the motivation to do good works comes out of our ego, and how much comes out of something else, there's something else that we can't really talk about so much because it's just this uh, feeling, the, the more uh, of the ego-driven stuff there is, the less likely we are to succeed at whatever our endeavor is. Um, so, you know, this not to say that using our karmic life and using our needs for approval and using our needs uh, to feel good about ourselves is, is a bad thing. It's, it's, it can be very helpful. and. Um, but just be aware of what's driving you to do what you do. This, uh, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I know it's frequently one of my motivations is I want to feel good. So I do something so I'll feel good, something helpful so I'll feel good. And the more I think about that, the more I'm not sure, I'm not really sure that's really an egoistic thing. I think doing something good and feeling good about it is part of our whole bodhisattva thing, that we, we have this natural goodness in us. And... Um, so the fact that we feel good is, is um, you know, kind of a neutral thing, that it's just there and um, it makes all this stuff work. 
Well, the second level of repentance is sort of more interesting. That's the one, it's called undefiled repentance, or maybe I'm changing it to undefiled action. That's the action that just comes up and you don't have a thought about it. It just comes out of you. And I'm sure that's happened to everybody in here, maybe even today, you know? Just something just comes up and you don't have a thought, you just do it. And um, a lot of times it's a little thing, you know? Like running into somebody that you didn't have such a great relationship with, maybe running into somebody that you were kind of mad at and, and who hurt you maybe, and you unexpectedly run into them and you find yourself hugging them and so happy to see them genuinely. I mean, not, not anything funny or, you know, just, and you, wow, where did that come from? You know, where did that little, little piece of goodness come from? Um, Sometimes I know I know I, I may have told this story before. I'm pretty sure I did because it, it it was actually a pretty interesting experience I had in New York City uh, a long time ago. I guess I was in my 30s and I was in uh, Times Square with some coworkers. I was there on a job assignment. I was with some coworkers and I was walking along and it was a crush of people and I felt my purse get light, you know, and without a thought in my head, me, shy little me, who lives in the woodwork, turns around and screams at the top of my lungs, who took that? And this guy was just kind of, you know, standing there and he holds out my billboard. <laughs> I found this on the ground. <laughs> and for me, it felt like everything just stopped, like everybody just stood still. And, and um, you know, so it was one of those things that just, it felt really good. I felt like, well, I can take care of myself, you know? Uh, I can do what I need to do. And uh, it wasn't exactly uh, like I was helping a lot of other suffering beings, but you know, <laughs> I was a suffering being too. So th this, this altruism always has to do with us too. You know, it's not just, just what we do for others. We are part of others. We are all you know, in the same boat, so to speak. So, um, yeah. Any, anybody want to share anything that happened to them once where they just did something that was good and useful and didn't think a thought about it? <laughs> but, but I think we all have those experiences and it's, it's good to be aware of them, you know. I remember... Um, when Robert Thomas was here, some of you remember him. Has it been two years since he was here now? Or was it? What? So he was here for the practice period last fall? Was that? No. Early, the spring. Okay, so the spring practice period was the one when he did the art. Well, I remember Robert talking once about being in San Francisco on the street and a woman and a, an old woman in a uh, scooter got her something stuck in her scooter and she was out on the road something you remember this story and um these all these cars were honking and the, some of them were driving by her fast and just you know really close and she was terrified and robert uh, apparently had one of those moments uh, where he just ran out and helped her and you know, his, there weren't anything thoughts in his head, so his mind was clear, and he was he able to get whatever it was that was um, 
you know, caught in the wheels of her um, um, scooter, you know, free, and, and, uh, and um, I always think, wow, you know, uh, to be able to, to just act like that um, is um, a wonderful, a wonderful thing. It feels so good. I want it to happen so it will feel good, you know. Um, but um, I, I think about some of the things that get in our way, you know, it's when we're in, faced with a crisis situation or something happens uh, that, um, that, that unexpectedly happens and needs some attention. What kind of things, what kind of thoughts come up that get in your way? Do I have time for this? What? Do I have time for this? Do I have time for this? <laughs> Will I know what to do, or maybe I'll make it worse or something? Yeah, doubt, self-doubt, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. I, I, I know for me it's always, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Instead of just helping, I ask, I'm thinking, what can I do? You know, there's that I in there. Um, What's the question? What? What's the question? What kind of thoughts get in your way of, of jumping in in, a, in a, a tough situation where somebody's suffering or something's going on that uh, needs some help? You know, what kind of thoughts come up that, that get in your way? You know? I have one of those right now. Right now? <laughs> In the moment? This very moment? <laughs> oh, what? I have somewhere to be at 11 o'clock, but I don't want to be rude and get up oh. your Okay. <laughs> 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 I don't know what to do. I think you just did it. Yeah. You just did it. You, you solved your problem. <laughs> you won't be offended if I leave. Of course not. Oh. Especially. <laughs> I didn't even think about that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, those little things that come up, right? Well, thank you for being here. Okay. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Was that a setup, Pat? <laughs> I couldn't have ever thought of that. <laughs> but this in the moment, yeah, wow. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, yeah, mine is, what, what can I do to help? I, I know the monastery I go to sometimes, and, uh, I really, I walk into the kitchen and say, what can I do to help? And somebody will very grumpily say, well, look around and see what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, Mary. I've been thinking a lot about how much mind reading gets in the way of me seeing <gasps> yeah. another person. Yeah, and, yes. Um, that allows me to talk myself out of even trying to act. Yes. Oh, because I predict a certain response, and not in these kind of situations. Like, like I'm working on a committee right now uh -huh. for very different disciplines, and I'll see myself want to move away based upon mind reading. And I really don't know if this is in this person's mind. Yeah. So I'm trying to right. make myself move forward and and find out if we can have a connection. Yeah. As opposed to doing the mind reading to justify moving away, which is very easy to do. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that is a very, very uh, yeah. good thing to point out. Yeah. Mind reading, yeah. We can't do it. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, that one agent. I remember one time I came home, um, a, a friend that had their uh, expensive bike in my garage, they were keeping it in their garage, and I came, I drove up my driveway and somebody was walking out of the, down the driveway with that bike, and I, I immediately, my mind just put, I didn't want to have to do anything, so I immediately started thinking, oh, he must be a friend of my friend. I was just making up all kinds of stuff about why this guy could be doing this, you know. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, he dumped the bike and ran, so I didn't have to worry, but, you know, I was just making up stuff to, to keep from having to do something. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about, um, is it my place yeah. to, to do this? Yeah. And also, how, how much responsibility do I want to take in this yeah. situation? So for me lately, it's been about whether or not to rescue animals. Because once you, once you rescue an animal, that animal becomes your responsibility for an untold period of time. <laughs> And you go, well, cute dog. Do I want to keep it forever? <laughs> yeah. And so then I start to, is it my place? Is it going to affect my family? You know, all that. So yeah. you start future tripping. About future tripping it. and mind reading. And yeah. yeah. All this thinking. Um, yeah. I suspect if Robert had thought, had even one thought in his head before he ran out in the street and got in the middle of traffic, he probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to act. Well, that's undefiled repentance. Something we can watch for it when it comes up. Or undefiled action, I'm sorry. I think calling it repentance is a bit confusing. The third kind of uh, level of uh, repentance or action is action in the presence of Buddha. And this is very high level uh, kinds of action. This is the kind of action that happens when you're strong enough, maybe you've sat long enough, you've uh, matured in your practice enough that you can hear all the cries of the world and not be overcome by sadness, so you can actually help. In, in, uh, I'm not there, I know. I feel like sometimes when people ask me for help and there's something about their life that makes me very sad, it's really hard to say yes. Well, okay, um, another um, um, point that Category made was that refuge, you know, we all say refuge, we take refuge in the Buddha, Sangha and Dharma, Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, uh, that refuge is really no different than repentance, that refuge is also moving our boat you know, moving, adjusting our boat, moving it more towards the path, moving it into the path of being a bodhisattva. You know, when we uh, do um, uh, the uh, full moon ceremony and we take refuge, we, we say uh, refuge is immersing the body and mind deeply in the way. You know, that's the same 
is adjusting our boat to move towards into more deeply into this into the, the Bodhisattva way. We're entering deeply into the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. We're, 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 we're moving our boat. So, we're, so um, refuge and repentance are very uh, closely related, as is the precepts, because the precepts are also uh, adjusting our boat, right? That's what they're all about, is adjusting our boat. Um, and, you know, I always heard when I took the precepts that we already have the precepts. It's kind of like the thing, like you're already enlightened, you don't have to, uh, but you still have to sit. You already have the precepts, but you still have to adjust your boat. You still have to uh, um, work with them. It's kind of a different approach, say, to the Ten Commandments, where we feel like the, this way of acting is outside of ourselves, but to our way of, of thinking, these uh, ways of acting right are are in us already, and we all we have to do is just be aware that they're there and cultivate them. So, working on precepts is really yes. It sounds like a lot of what you were talking about with the things that get in the way. Uh, you would want to eliminate those things, like the to have action. So part of your practice would be learning to let those things drop away. You know, like right. hesitation or doubt. Right, or, or mind reading yeah. or you know, worrying about the future of your action and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so and that's, of course, where meditation comes in. Did everybody hear that? You know, just talking about drop. No? Because um, we don't have a sound system yet. <laughs> well, she's going that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, and so she's talking about, uh, Anne was talking about how important it is to, to drop away this, this kind of, this thinking, am I quoting you right? This, yeah. this thinking mind, to drop it away. And that, of course, is what we are trying to cultivate when we sit in the cushion and follow our breath, stepping outside of our own brain activity, just stepping outside of it, watching our breath, watching, paying attention to body sensations, where we're, um, um, yeah, stepping on and making the, the those those kinds of thoughts that are always coming, making them a lot less important. You know, they, they kind of step to the back. We're, we're stepping, we're, or we're stepping back from 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 our thinking and, and just sort of watching it like an onlooker. And it is uh, um, well. I think I've come to the end of my words here on the page. Um, does anybody have any questions or anything they'd like to say or any story they'd like to tell about doing uh, undefiled action? <laughs> oh, Koji. This is completely unrelated, but I've never asked you this. And not completely unrelated. Is that okay with you? I think. <laughs> What's it like to be old? <laughs> I don't know. What is it? I, I, I'm curious about your experience of not, you, you can either talk specifically about the meditation aspect, like the on the cushion aspect, or you can just talk about the environment and the, and the, and so this kind of ties in, but the environment and the, and the attitude and the way of, doing things, 
the difference between your Rinzai training and the Rinzai G and the, and the Daivosatsu kind of environment, you know, doing, either doing con training or just like kind of the spirit in which things were undertaken, you know, um, uh, and versus your, your experience of practicing here or doing such as Zen retreats. I'm curious about the kind of uh, attitude, either, either on the cushion or off the cushion. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to summarize. Uh, um, the Rinzai training is a lot more intense. There's a, a, a lot more intensity. Um, also, there's more of a feeling of, you know, using that sword and cutting through um, ego. I mean, ego seems to come up a lot. You know, the things like, um, you know, there's a kind of a... Uh, a gruffness about uh, a, a more of a, a gruff approach to a more of a pushing approach to uh, to practice than here where we're very gentle and we work with um, um, more organic feeling and maybe more maybe uh, I think also a difference I've noticed is in, in Rinzai, and I, I'm frequently sort of talking like this, like all you have to do is sit and, uh, and do your koan practice and do your practice, and you will kind of, things will just happen, you know. Where there's more of an initiate, uh, more of a initiative that Soto seems to talk about, taking more of a, well, like... Um, uh, what, what, what was the quote I, I said about we must constantly live by taking the initiative to make the and I don't know whether that's just my experience but it just seemed like I I, I, uh, I felt like just doing the practice um, well, I, I, I hope I'm not mis, misrepresenting that practice but um, but the practice is very strict. So if you do the practice, you're you're, you're following something very strict. And uh, uh, are you saying that the strictness of the that's sort of external, as opposed to initiative being something that's more internal? Is that a distinction? Oh, say that you said that the, the practice was very strict. Yeah, it's more external, yeah, it's more it's external it's imposed on you. I mean, when you sit in the Zendo, in the Rinzai temple, you're, you're not supposed to move at all, and someone may even yell at you if you do. You know? So it, it's, it's, very, it's somewhat militaristic. You know? And some people have said, I think, that you know, Rinzai training is really great if you're going to spend your life in a monastery, but maybe it doesn't always translate so well into day-to-day uh, -day life in the world. No, I don't know. I, I kind of think that's a little bit true. Um, I, I find myself doing less Rinzai, mostly I guess because it's not here, because I'm here and uh, I want to practice here and I, I like our gentle approach. No. Okay, well, that, thanks. Yes? the way I sort of have always approached repentance of like many people, you know, 
Summarize things really nicely, I think, put a nice slant on things. Thanks. 